Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. Sweet. All right, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome back to Deepen Podcast for one of my favorite weeks of the year, Vision Weekend. We were in a meeting earlier and talking, uh, we were affirming you, Pastor Joby, and your gift of casting vision and keeping the main thing the main thing. And uh, this is certainly a weekend where you get to show that off to everybody at church. So thanks for bringing it today. Uh, 2024 is a year we're going to focus a lot on eternal life. I was thinking about this as we we're getting ready to to, to talk. Um, there's this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 18. And it's probably one of those coffee cup verses, right? Like the people perish for lack of vision. So talk, let's go a little high level to start off. Why is vision so important? And you have a thing you talk about with vision and direction and stuff yeah, like that. I don't, so maybe. I don't love the word. I think, honestly, in church world, vision is like overrated. Mm-hmm. It's just the word you got to use. If not, it would take me 10 minutes to explain why we don't use that word. So it's just the, the word you got to use. However, <clears throat> I think vision is overrated. I think the vision of what a church is comes from God in the Great Commission. That's what we are all about. Our vision never changes. It is the way we are going to live out the Great Commission is by being a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. And then really what we do on this weekend is say the direction for this year is highlighting, is emphasizing this part of the overall vision. Mm -hmm. So eternal life, which is a part of the the 1010 life journey, or share a, a, a disciple loves all people by sharing their faith. That's that's what we're directing ourselves mm-hmm. towards or emphasizing this mm-hmm. year. But the vision hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The Great Commission hasn't changed. And that verse, I mean, you didn't talk about this but uh, in, in your message, but that verse says that without it, people cast off restraint. What do you think that means? You ever, um, I'm not a good cleaner. I know this comes as a surprise. <clears throat> because what happens in my world when I try to, like, clean up things I don't know if you ever do this. Like, there's a thing in the kitchen. You're like, oh, no, this knife belongs in the garage. And then I walk out to the garage, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I need to do this thing. And I find myself just, like, distracted by the next thing. Mm. I think a lot of churches do that. Mm. They just get distracted by the next, quote-unquote, vibrant ministry or opportunity. And in so doing, they lose sight of the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples. Mm -hmm. And so I think vision just brings us back to... Our vision is this is how God has called us to accomplish the Great Commission and our, you know, as far as the role we can play. Mm-hmm. But it helps us stay focused. Mm-hmm. That's what the throw off restraint is. Because yes. it's not necessarily – most of the time it's not the bad things that take a church off course. Now, sometimes it is. There are apostate churches and entire denominations right now for sure. But a lot of times, like good Bible teaching churches, they, they just um, – put their hands in a little bit of everything, and they take their eyes off of the gospel and sharing the good news of the gospel with people mm-hmm. and its implication. I think one of the misconceptions, Pastor Britt, is that, I mean, maybe pervasive today that freedom actually means a ton of different options. But in fact, this is kind of suggesting the opposite, right? That the most freedom you have is in constraints. So vision constrains us, or our, cho- our choices to do a thing constrain us, right? Yes, the uh, idea of with responsibility comes the burden of that responsibility. And so in order to be effective with the responsibilities that you've been trusted with, you come under the weight of those responsibilities. And the only way to carry that weight is, and we'll talk more about this later, I'm sure, is doing things in order by being underneath the authority that comes with those responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of the Proverbs, for example, when we talk through the Proverbs, one of the things that's inherent to to receiving the Proverbs as instruction, life-giving instruction, is that it's a father's instruction to his kids. And so if you think of my job as a parent, what I want to do is to pray and to paint a compelling vision for what life is supposed to be to my children. That's what I want for them. I want them to get a glimpse of God's best life for them according to God. 
And I'm praying that out loud over them. I'm painting that for them with our decisions. And, you know, if you if you read or listen to any of the sociological experts that aren't even God followers that are currently painting a picture against the rise of the, like, self-worshipped, modernized self that cast off restraint, they're all saying, you know what you need to do? Wake up and make your bed. Like, do 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 something that is going to lead you to the next thing, mm-hmm. that is going to lead you to the next thing that is productive under responsibility so that you can actually live a compelling life. And you take that, put the Bible in the middle of it, it's that, that a life without restraint is ultimately a life out from underneath the power and the purposes of God. Mm-hmm. And the way that God has chosen to contextualize his or provide vision for me, for my kids, for all of us, is through his word, through the local church. And so that's what Pastor Joby was is articulating this weekend is God's heart for God's kids and the way that they hear it, receive it, and experience it is through the local church, through the preaching of the word. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, you, you mentioned father, and I mean, spiritually speaking, I'm like the father of this family, you know? The Apostle Paul would agree. And the older I get, the easier it is to step into that, for sure. Um, and... and I think about I have no experience in rowing or crew, but that's a pretty good visual of what I'm trying to do this weekend. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just randomly hand out paddles and oars and be like, do what you want. And people are like, I want to go this way and I want to go this way. Mm-hmm. So not only is it direction, but like this boat's going that way, but it's also rhythm. We're all going to get in the same rhythm. And people that paddle better on the right side of the boat are going to get on that side, left side on that. You don't just go wherever you want to go because you won't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm one of the things I try not to do, especially on weekends like this, is say the way we are doing this is any better than what anybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. It's just this is the direction and the rhythm that this boat is heading in. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be in rhythm with this and you don't want to go in the direction of this, this ain't your boat, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, part of the secret sauce of this place has been the the incredible buy-in by so many incredible people mm-hmm. that have just linked up with what we feel like God has called us to be as a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what this is. This is we're really going to be focused on these things this year. There's a lot of people who start off January and read a book or or try to start new habits, set goals, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you've heard this quote that success is boring because success in, involves that routine of the same, like, you know, the people who are in the best shape, they just eat the same thing every day or they, they go to the same re- workout routine, you know what I mean? Like, they're, like it's, this, it's the thing that you just mentioned, the search for novelty sometimes that actually leads us the opposite direction of success. And you got into this a little bit, Pastor Joby, of one, of my fa- one of my favorite things about this church is that we're boring in all those right ways, right? So what is it that keeps you focused? Besides just the experience that you've mentioned before, like other churches you've been around before and the you know leadership would come back from the conference every time and be like, this is the thing we're going after. And it changes about every six months. Um, <clears throat> I think two things. I think the Bible itself, like I love the Word of God. I love to teach the Word of God. It kind of just says the same thing over and over, doesn't it? I mean, it's not like this outlier book, mm-hmm. you know, that's like... So I love that. And I mean, it's just the people. So organizationally, it might look boring in that we do Easter and beach baptism and saturated and Christmas. Those are our four big events every year. We do service every weekend. You got large group, small group serve. I mean, yeah. But man, I just pray with people that are on the mat right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, multiple people, whether it's physically they're on the mat or relationally, you know, a husband that just left, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, that will keep you highly focused on teaching the Bible and loving people and will keep you out of the light. What's the next new and flashy thing we can do for the sake of new and flashy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if by boring you mean s- simple and focused, right. I think that's the, the the guts of the meaning of that quote. Right. Yes. Is simple and focused, then yes. We want to be s- simple and focused. And anybody who's ever led anything realizes that there's actually really no such thing as simple. Yeah. 
that what leaders do is they take complicated things and they pick them apart and then help them feel experientially simple. But there's really nothing simple. Yeah, I think. I think um, but being the, focused. Yeah, clarity can. And, you know, it's like to the, the previous point. The more responsibility that you are given, the less freedom you have. So if you have two kids, you have a degree of freedom. If you have nine kids, you have a lesser degree of freedom. Mm-hmm. So the more responsibility that you have, the less freedom you have. And every one of your yeses comes with 25 no's. Mm-hmm. And what Pastor Joby's talking about in regards to rowing is that if you're saying – I feel like God is calling me to be a part of what he's doing in and through the local church of 1122. That is a big yes, and praise God for that. Mm -hmm. But it's also going to come with a lot of no's in your life of other things that you're not going to necessarily be giving yourself to um, in order to walk in your next step of obedience in the ministry that God's called you to as a part of this church. And and so boring, I think it's one thing to say, boring in the terms of simple, yes, but there's not many people here I know that are bored. If you're in, if you're in the front lines of ministry, partnering with the Holy Spirit, it's not boring. Right. You don't get bored, but doing the same thing over and over and over again to the glory of God, boy, that's the perseverance spirit. You know. I think the um, because when things are simple and focused, or or when 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 we bring clarity that this is what we're doing here, I think one of the reasons our services are so powerful is because people have such an they know what to expect. So there is a true anticipation of the supernatural or an encounter with a living God. You can expect that. It's not, a, it's not like three times a year there's kind of a wow factor. And so to the dozens and the rows and rows and rows of people down front responding tonight, I think the reason they can have that experience, again, is because there is an expectation because there's a consistency and there's a focus and there's a clarity mm-hmm. to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I grew up without the gospel lens that we have here. And I think there's probably it, – it's probably not true if somebody's here regularly, but maybe somebody listening – would think, okay, the gospel is kind of the diving board or the entrance thing, right? And then there's more deeper new things. And Paul certainly dealt with this too, right? Like there was groups of people who would say that there's these secret mysteries, these hidden things that they're chasing after, and he would bring them back to the primacy of the gospel. So what would you say to the person who's listening who Maybe they've got a friend that just says, hey, let's let's actually go to some of the deep stuff. And they're looking for really obscure or like esoteric scriptural type things. And they're chasing down all these different things. Like, what would you say to that person? Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, what what happens with that person, the person that wants to go deep, they oftentimes get so self-focused, they take their eyes off of the Great Commission. Hmm. I mean, because the whole... I mean, at at no point is Jesus like, all right, so here's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is we're going to sit in circles, and you are going to become so knowledgeable of the Scriptures. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a group of people that did that, and they were the bad guys in the gospel. Mm. And Jesus is like, you read it, and you don't know it because you don't know me. Mm -hmm. Do a quick study. Here's a deep study. Do a quick study of the four gospels. List all the times where the disciples got in trouble, and list all the times where the disciples got high fives. The high fives always came when they were outwardly focused to help other people discover who Jesus is. So like, see, feeding on the 5,000, things like that. Look at when they got in trouble. It's when they were all inwardly focused, like, can we sit at your right and left? Mm-hmm. And that is pervasive in the local church. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think Jesus would probably have spent more time on like number codes if we were supposed to spend more time on it. If you just multiply the number four eight times in every verse, you'll find the secret. <laughs> yes, the people people hijack words and give them definitions. Yeah. You know, that, that's so much of the game is dictionary. Mm. Theology and the study of God matters a ton. For sure. It matters a ton, right? Mm. And so some people say, I want to go deeper, and they, they mean, I want to better understand the the weight of propitiation and you know like i want to know the fullness of god mm-hmm. as as paul would write it and praise mm-hmm. god for that 
But that in and of itself is still a means. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Uh, it's not the end. And that's where it gets mm. being a church born, bred, and raised. Mm. It could easily and probably spent years in that camp of like way more focused on what I knew and understand, could understand and explain to others than mm-hmm. who is my neighbor. Mm. Yeah. I mean, look at our you text know? tonight. <clears throat> so there's two groups of people. One group gets chastised by Jesus because they've got the wrong heart, and they're the scribes, which means they know the scriptures the best. Mm-hmm. The other guys, because they they act out their faith in such a way where Jesus looks at them, he goes, "I'm really what you're into," mm-hmm. you know. And they could have. I mean, let's just play this out. This was an actual house. It's probably Peter's house in Capernaum. They could have left their friend in order to be there on time and gotten a good seat at the feet of Jesus and learned. They could have then been among the scribes that got chastised. Hmm. Instead, at expense to their own learning, they go and get their friend and bring him to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they're the hero of the story, mm-hmm. aside from Jesus being the ultimate hero. Like, you just don't ever want to lose focus of that. Mm-hmm. We, even our, in our own discipleship, are a conduit of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not the, the cul-de-sac of discipleship. Yeah. So... Learning the deep—I mean, this thing's called deepen. I'm trying to get people to deepen, but not right. deepen their understanding. I'm trying to get people to deepen their relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. John chapter 15, Jesus talks about our obedience to his word is a means to an abiding with him. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Knowledge in itself just puffs up That's for right. knowledge, but information that, information that leads to obedience— is helpful and healthy and good mm-hmm. and helps and helps the human heart and mind better understand how to obey. Mm-hmm. And so that's information that leads to transformation. And um, really what it's doing is information helping you understand the transformation that's already that is taking place, right? And so I think that's the the beauty of if information is fueling obedience, pr- praise God for it. And I can't really separate the two like it's one thing to be obedient in a childlike way. Jesus calls us to that, and we should all approach it that way. Um, but when we just start trying to consume information, and this has been my experience, is that some folks do deep dives into knowledge for the sake of knowledge, which puffs up. And all of a sudden, they begin to use that knowledge as an excuse to not be obedient, yeah. as an excuse to not trust Jesus in the daily things and in the weekly things, to not submit to authority, to not be a part, a vibrant part of a local church. But what they start doing is they'll start saying, well, you know, that, that pastor's not deep enough. You know, it's, it's, or they'll find some like T-bone theological issue to hang the whole of belonging to a people in a local church. And mm-hmm. does that mean, so the information is actually, they use it to create a, a, a tower or a fortress to hide behind to not actually be obedient to Christ, boy, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous place to be. Let me tell you an old trick is to use the Scripture to be an accuser of the brethren. I mean, think about all all of those ministries online where they mm-hmm. use the Scripture to be an accuser of all the churches that don't do it the way they do it. Mm-hmm. It's exactly right. Yeah, I think the point, you made an earlier point that it's never meant to be opposed. Like, it has to go together. And part of our problem is that we try to pit things against each other, which is another thing that I love is discover and deepen. It's not like they're two sides of the same coin because you don't want blissful ignorance running around. I, I heard that as a younger person too. Oh, now, you know, knowledge just puffs up. And it was sort of, oh, doctrine divides. And it was like a, it was like, hey, be careful studying too much of that predestination stuff because you're just going to get in a lot of arguments. Just don't think about it too much, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's not what we're after either, right? right because you yeah. don't want to be ignorant of what God gave us for a reason, right? Yeah. To understand him. But it's got to lead to intimacy and not, not to division. Double-mindedness divides. Right. Disobedience divides. Yeah. Uh, doctrine can do its work and does its work to purify right. Jesus' bride and to prepare her for his return mm-hmm. when handled rightly. So I think it was Jonathan Edwards that said something like, "The more I know of the doctrine, the more my affection grows." Like it's, sure. it should Bingo. not. It should not. I love the Bible because I love Jesus. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, all right, to put it on the bottom shelf. You know, it took me a few years to realize. My, though my wife gets up pretty early every morning, she loves coffee. At this point, she loves uh, 
We got these two recliners beside each other. She's on the one on the left. She wants big old coffee, her Bible, her reading glasses. Until the coffee's done, you don't really want to mess with her. Okay. Now, I leverage that information to be able to love her better. That's why that information matters for me mm-hmm. to know. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Okay. Here is information about who God is. Mm-hmm. So the reason you know that information is that you might respond to him rightly mm-hmm. in accordance with his character and nature. Yeah. That's different than trying to use that information to make more of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Well, you, Pastor Joby, laid out what you do every year, which is our what we call our big bucket events. We have a saying around here, rhythms rule. Every healthy family has healthy rhythms. And uh, you mentioned this, but I mean, talk a little bit more about why you work so hard to give people these dates in advance, to, like looking into the year. It's January. We're talking about Christmas. That's right. Um, well, I've heard it said this way before, so it's not original to me, but the the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second one is like it, love yourself. Okay, I can't make you love God, mm-hmm. but I can set up the dates. Mm-hmm. We, as a team, we work every single week to set the in kind of, the kind of environments that hopefully stir people's affections to the Lord, where they encounter Him in a supernatural way, things like that. And then there are certain, I think every healthy family has healthy family rhythms. There's things that you look forward to. There's there's memory makers. Mm-hmm. Some of these things, some of these things are um, things God told us to do. Like you should baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we just do these kinds of things for our whole church to rally around, to set our calendars by, to be a part of. In fact, I mean, if you talk to a lot of people and you say, "So when you know how long have you been attending?" They'll say, uh, "However long." But when did you first start coming? They'll either mention a sermon series or they'll mention one of these events. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was saturated in twenty. That's it. Yeah, seventeen. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, and I think we've all been a part of churches that did not do this and greatly appreciate it. <laughs> you get the Saturday night call of just like I'm going to go in a totally different direction on this. <laughs> yeah, I think the the idea that you know what to expect. Yeah, you yeah. know, and if this if what God's doing here and your part in it is a priority in mm-hmm. your life, then it makes it easy to like. Playing all your stuff. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I've always loved it. Ten years in, I'm into it. Mm. Well, I know they're all going to be great, but as we look down the scope of these different series coming up, so many things to look forward to, but is there one that stands out to you, Pastor Britta, something you're looking forward to this year, a series? The seven sayings, we, we've handled that uh, various mm-hmm. different to tell us ways that. through passion service and... Yeah, that's when it hit me, when I was mm. listening to the Passion Service last year. Mm. I thought, we could do this for seven weeks. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then Charles is like, I'm writing a book called It Is Finished, or it's not. It's really more like a devotional journal guide mm-hmm. thing. I've read it. It's wonderful. It is. And so I thought, oh, that'd be a good resource. Let's do this. It's going to mm. be great. So anytime we're the Lent season, I love mm. that every year. Yes. I just am, am enamored with the resurrection more and more. The, the longer I'm following Jesus, the more uh, mm. just uh, how unbelievable, mm. unbelievably believable yes, is sir. the resurrection. Um, so that one, I think the grace train will be cool. Um, i tell you the, not to cop out and be like all of it, but um, mm. when we talked this morning and then listening tonight, I think the testimony series is going to be very, very, very effective in our the life of our church in regards to encouraging and empowering people mm. that your story matters mm-hmm. uh, that God ha- God can and use your story and your words to lead other people to Jesus I mean the whole like I'm a preacher that doesn't use words kind of thing it's like yeah. eh, I think I know that gets de- it gets taken way out of context mm-hmm. all the time and um, and so I think people will be emboldened. Mm. And we have got one of the most missional churches that I've ever heard of. And not one person in our church would be like, I'm being missional. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? They wouldn't right. use that word. They would just say, I, I want people to experience what I've experienced. Right. I'm praying for my one more. Mm-hmm. And they invite, 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 invite. And I think that's an incredible form of evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of folks too that have not been able to taste when you lead somebody to Christ one on one, and they pray, and they pray, and they they 
trust Jesus in that moment. But that's pretty life-giving. Hey, pray for me. I have a, I have a, uh, a lunch meeting with a guy tomorrow. And if God will answer my prayers, he'll get saved, and we'll baptize him this January. Mm. Let's go. Yeah. Mm. I'm meeting with him tomorrow. I mean, so I, that's why you asked the boring question. That's why it's not boring to me. Because for me, this one more is not a strategy of church growth. Mm-hmm. This is like, I got a dude's name written down mm-hmm. that I've been praying for mm-hmm. that is um, kind of on the fence. Mm-hmm. Great guy, man. Young guy, kid. But he's like, I don't know how old he is, 25 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So, I mean. Maybe monotonous is a better word choice. Like repetitive? I don't know. I don't mean boring, like not exciting. No, no, you mean. No, no. Simple. I mean, you were quoting another focus. Quote. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. get it. I will say so, this listening tonight. Sorry to hijack your. Mm-hmm. I know you were about to ask an awesome question. To, that said, one of the things that stood out to me tonight, you were talking about secret sauce, and we get that question a lot All in church time. circles. And there's really not a good answer other than God chooses to do what God wants to do right. in a place where He wants to do it. I think the. I, I really was. I wouldn't say convicted because I don't sense this here too often, but compelled and reminded that no one, no one can take credit for what God has done here and what he is doing. And shame on us or anyone that would point to themselves Hmm. for any version of credit that only belongs to the Lord Hmm. for anything. Correct. Which is any one inch of the kingdom where God has, because it is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. the the gospel is the whole kingdom. So here's a way to to like kind of reframe some of this. <clears throat> so there are some just ways God's kingdom is set up that. By the grace of God and dumb luck, whatever, for whatever, that we have aligned ourselves with mm-hmm. that have allowed us to be the recipients or did not hinder us from being the recipients of what thing God wanted to do in Jacksonville. Mm. And the five that I mentioned are five. They're just like the Spirit of God has wanted here, working mm-hmm. in and under authority from the blessing of mm-hmm. my pastor to the current elders. Yeah. To that we keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the gospel, and we have a people hungry for for it's very personal for our people. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just kingdom ethics in the way mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is set up. Almost that's like not, natural laws. That, yeah, yeah. It's not church growth. This isn't a church growth model. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just more like. And I bet there's a hundred other church. There's there's so many other churches that also do those things, and and then God just didn't breathe on that one the way He has here. Mm-hmm. But that's fine too because every family is not supposed to look the same. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean. So, but but that's a that's a good way to think about it. Mm-hmm. There aren't like I'm, I talk to a lot a lot of church planners. I don't know why I always talk to church planners. I mean, I did because our church we didn't like plan a church. It's just different than the regular church. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> However, one of the things I see often is I see these men operating outside of the way God operates, but mm. they're looking for the blessing of God. Mm. And I'm like, bro, it just, it don't work that way, man. No. Like he's got to be glorified in the means and the end. Even if you have mm. pure motives towards the ends, mm-hmm. if there's not submission to authority on mm. the way, I don't see how you do it. Right. You know, yeah. you're going to sow in discord from the beginning. Mm. Yeah. It's like a principle of the kingdom. Right. You know, like th- these are things you're talking about that are really, it's like, don't jump off of things that are super high, otherwise you will break bones. Like, those are just, that's how it works. You know, authority is similar in the kingdom. Because um, there are things you can do to prevent God's blessings in your mm-hmm. life. You know what I mean? God opposes sure. the proud. Right, 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 right. There you go. So think that nobody else knows how to do church like you know how to do church. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the person that tells me there are no gospel churches in our city, that's why I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, my God, bless mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Bro, that's the most prideful thing. What do you mean, man? Mm-hmm. How about just, you know, how about just be about what God has called you to mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. and, and try to be bring about as much gospel unity in your city as you possibly can mm-hmm. along the way? Yeah. Well, back to sharing your faith, I mean, <clears throat> I was going to say, I can only talk about my own experience and growing up in church. There's a lot of things that you were told to feel guilty for if you didn't do them, 
you know? One of them is quiet time. If you didn't do your quiet time, you should be guilty. Uh, praying, you should pray more. And the other one was you should you should tell people about it. You should witness. That's what they would call it back then, witness. So I know you mentioned we have a very missional church. I, I agree with you. But maybe there's some people out there who feel embarrassed that they are maybe they're introverted or they don't share their faith like they want like they wish they would. And I do agree. I think this the encouragement of a series or a study is going to be so helpful. What is that like for for you guys? I mean, has it always been easy? Have you grown in it? Have you learned some key things? Has you gotten have you gotten better with practice? You know what I mean? Like Help, help some people who like, hey, I want to get better at this. I want to do this more, but I just, I don't know how I feel stuck. I don't like telling, I don't like to be like, I'm good at this. Well, you are. I'll say, I'll say it. You're like very naturally gifted at this. So. The moment I got saved, I was radically saved. So yeah. I get home, like I leave one year high school and I'm the worst and I come back and I'm still the worst, but I got Jesus t-shirts mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And I was just that guy, man. Mm-hmm. I would have the Lord's Gym on and be like, hey, mm-hmm. man, you're coming to church with me. It's the Lord's Gym. Bro, I had that one. I had the faith is like a muscle that grows with exercise. I had that one. I had... Uh, the worship house, but it was like the Waffle House. <laughs> I didn't have that one. That was a little bit later. <laughs> I had a, uh, a breadcrumb and fish later, maybe. I had I had just those shirts, mm-hmm. dude. Three, had, three nails plus one cross equals four given. <laughs> <laughs> you were a little bit later, so there was like... There was, the Starbucks logo. There was, was a wrestling oh, one. Man. Was like I could go. I could go. I could go cheesy Christian stuff for a long time. So we I was that guy though. It. I would just. I would like. It was like guerrilla evangelism. I just took people yeah. with me. Um, the longer I've shared my faith and the more I study my Bible, the more reformed I am in, in my soteriology. Mm. Uh, some people would use the phrase Calvinism. I don't like the word Calvinist mm. because of I got no problem with the five points of Calvinism mm-hmm. at all. Um, uh, it was in response to Arminianism, so I think that's a terrible way to start uh, theology. I think you should start with mm-hmm. not the depravity of man. I think you should start with God's intention in creation. So mm-hmm. anyway, but I have shared my faith with lots and lots of people and still do, and I don't, I don't feel pressure because I know that no one comes to Jesus that the Father does not draw mm-hmm. or give unto Jesus. Mm-hmm. So no problem. So I can't screw it up, and I can't, and it's not up to me. Both of those things are simultaneously true. Right. Now I've been, now that's real easy when I'm sitting on an airplane just having some conversation. When it's somebody that you deeply care for and love, it's different, you know, because yeah. your heart is you're like, come on, Lord, well, why not? Mm-hmm. Why not do it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't feel like I'm trying to uh, close a deal, right? Or I, I don't. Now, I do think it is important as the Spirit leads. I think Acts 1-8 helps a lot. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness. And that order matters. Mm -hmm. So some people go out and witness, and it it may not be Spirit-driven. I mean, Mm -hmm. there were places. Paul was trying to go to Asia, Mm -hmm. and the Spirit said, I don't want you to go there. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're not filled with the power of the Spirit, I don't care where you witness. It ain't going to work. So when you begin, a, a prayer that God wants to answer is, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to share my faith? And it could be, you know, oftentimes, we, we'll talk about this a lot this year. It could be share an invitation to church. It could be share your story. We'll talk about that a lot in this mm-hmm. next series. It could be share the gospel, be your own little Billy Graham. It could be share a prayer, like, hey, can I be praying for you? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's just sharing a cup of coffee because you're continuing to build the relationship. Yeah. Okay. I don't feel, I know that the power is not in me. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel any pressure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't even feel like if I don't feel like the, if the conversation just feels like I'm trying to make this thing happen, I just quit because mm-hmm. I'm a Lord. I don't, this, if, if this is you, I need a sign or something. <laughs> like I'm not feeling the power of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. upon me as I witness right here. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah. And it's so, it's, I've heard people before use, the sovereignty thing is an argument like, how could you believe that? Because then you wouldn't evangelize. And a great book what? that I'd recommend, uh, J.I. Packer's... It's the exact opposite. Right, J.I. Packer's little book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, it actually, actually says, work. this is actually should free you up to do it more because it's not about you. It's not about right. your your slick uh, presentation of it, right? It's about and building sometimes, a... man, you just got to... All right, this guy, I know this guy, 
He's about to get married. So you you know, think about how susceptible you are to all things. When you're about to get married, you're like, what am I doing in my life? Mm-hmm. And um, so I ran into him the other day, and I was just like, hey, man, we're baptizing all throughout January. Yeah, have, you, have you been baptized? He's like, uh-uh. I was like, are you a believer? He's like, well, I mean, he kind of did that thing. And I was like, I want to get together with you soon. Let's just talk about it. Now, that's not the normal conversation you have with everybody. Mm-hmm. But it just it just made a lot of sense, and mm-hmm. so again, I'm gonna have lunch with him tomorrow, and and I feel like the Lord has set all this up, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And he's a younger guy; he's asking me marriage questions, and mm. and I'm gonna say, I, dude, the Bible says, "Love your wife like Christ loved the church." So if you don't know Christ, I don't know how to tell you to be married, mm. right? So you know, yeah, there's kind of two postures Christians take. One is that Christians generally assume most people are Christians unless they're blatantly not. Mm-hmm. And then I would fall more in this camp. I generally assume you're not a Christian <laughs> until you... Go to heaven. <laughs> until the right words, some version of the right words come out that show mm-hmm. the evidence of, mm-hmm. of yeah. the revelation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Namely, the name of Jesus. Once mm-hmm. we actually start talking about Jesus, then we're talking about our church history, we're talking about our church past, we're talking about the class that I went to at this time, or even I was baptized as a child, or yeah. but we're not talking about Jesus, mm-hmm. then there's a real decent chance we're not talking about salvation. and we're not Because if, mm-hmm. if we're not talking about the cross, right. at the center of it, we're not talking about salvation, right. right? And Stott says that if the cross is not the center of your belief, then your belief has nothing to do with Jesus. Right. right. Um, and, and I don't mean they have to be able to articulate the Roman road or the deep meanings right. of, you know, the divine exchange, mm-hmm. um, but but I think getting a sense of where the person is on their faith journey, mm-hmm. without assuming into their story, is a significant yes. part of evangelism. And there's a tool that was given to me years ago called the Engel Scale of Evangelism, and I'm, it's, I'm sure it's highly criticized as everything, but his scale kind of goes from negative eight, which is yes. I'm alive, I see the sun in the sky. There's something, but that's all I know. Mm-hmm. To at zero is new birth. This is regeneration. I have heard the gospel. I have believed the gospel. I have trusted in Jesus Christ unto salvation, as far as I can understand it at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And then he it goes to plus five, which is I'm now living a life of stewardship. Mm-hmm. And this hit the way he does it helps has always helped me over the years to like try to think about and listen for words that help better identify and discern where people are on their mm-hmm. journey because not everybody's in the same place. Right. Yeah. And some people are real close, like the guy that you're talking about. The fact that he would be in that moment at that point in time looking at you in the face, right. you would be spurred by the Holy Spirit to ask a question about baptism. Right. Let's mm-hmm. just say things are probably pretty close yeah. to... I also know several other people that have been pouring in this guy for a bunch of years. Right. Yeah. And it, helps years, take yeah. The, it helps take the pressure off too, because if you feel like you got to take somebody from lost to saved in one conversation, you know what I mean? Like For sure. oversimplifying it. But if you're thinking, hey, how can I help this person take the next step in the process? So I think thinking of not thinking about things in terms of conversion, but right. in terms of discipleship. Mm-hmm. When you separate evangelism and discipleship, you make a fatal flaw. Correct. It's just a, it's just fatal. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to good healthy theology and outworking in the mm-hmm. sense that. We are discipling people in the kingdom of God. And sometimes that means you're discipling people into the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so you can teach them what, yeah. about discipleship before the point of regeneration. It doesn't make them a follower of Jesus, but teaching them the beauty of following Jesus could be the thing that leads them to the regenerative moment of Opening their eyes to the new birth in Christ. You know what See, I mean? We're the discipling disciples. people in the kingdom. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the primary invitation to Jesus was follow me. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Now, I do want to say this the whole theme of the year is not witnessing. Yes. It is eternal life. It is, yeah. it is, if we want life abundantly, we've got to understand that life is more mm-hmm. than physical and it yes. is not temporary. And are we focused on him and and a life with him for eternity? Right. Not just we're trying to get our one more to be Christians, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And a big part of what I wanted to talk about tonight is I want all the people out there, especially the folks, 
that aren't natural salesmen. You know what I mean? That aren't like, okay, good, I'm going to go share my faith tonight. To know your church is partnering with you mm-hmm. to help you tote your friend into the presence of Jesus and watch him do his thing. Mm-hmm. That we we are with you. We're for you. We're trying to make room for them. We're I'm, I'm preloading all the series so you know which ones you can be, really invite them to, and mm-hmm. we, you know that kind of stuff. Like that was my frustration for a lot of my life, even when I was on staff at a church. Is um, it was like the church was just for church people. They weren't they weren't super interested, especially when I was in college, mm-hmm. man. It, they weren't super interested in my lost friend showing up with me because it, it was just so mm-hmm. focused on the people yeah. that were already saved. Yeah. You talk about like not making assumptions, <clears throat> Pastor Bruce, something that I've thought about is that because of how we do things here, it means that the discipleship conversation is still on the table, even if somebody's already coming here. You know what I mean? Because the sure. goal is not just get somebody to come to church. And I've been guilty of that too. Like, hey, do you have a church home? Oh, I go to 1122. It's like, oh, sweet. You know, and then I can make an assumption that the discipleship conversation is now oh, man, moved on the to the discipleship ne- journey. What's exactly. Your What's your next step? Like, that is an invitation to have that conversation, not like, oh, you're already coming and I can move on to somebody else who doesn't. You know what I mean? Uh, you mentioned... One of these things uh, tonight, Pastor Joby, uh, but there will be two books that are part of our discipleship journey as a church this year. One is going to be written by Charles Martin. We're going to be focusing a lot in the Lent season on that one. But you mentioned a series, The Grace Train, but that's going to coincide with another book release from you. So why do we want to use books as a discipleship tool here? Well, it's just one more means of reaching more people to make disciples and make disciples and make mm-hmm. disciples. One of the things that's interesting, I don't know, man, books are just different too. I get, I still get emails every single week from If the Tomb is Empty, Chapter 1, mm. Abraham and Isaac, and if you're ready to receive Jesus, please email me and let me know so we can follow up mm-hmm. every single week. So yeah. there's something about the, you know, the shelf life of a book is just different than even like podcast or mm. sermon series. It yeah. just is, right? So it's just one more avenue. It's just to to make disciples. The mm. only reason I write books is to same reason I preach is mm-hmm. to make disciples. Mm-hmm. And our church is it's so it's so cool the way honestly you guys and the elders and and the folks have just gotten behind it mm-hmm. when we we have an emphasis, you know, I release a book and everybody just kind of stacks mm-hmm. hands and mm gives them away as like tools to reach their one mores. And mm-hmm. and so the premise of this book, it's really an, an anti-cheap grace book. Yeah. It's if you really encounter the grace of Jesus, your life mm-hmm. will be changed forever. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. perfect immediately, but you'll be, if you're run over by the grace train, it changes you. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at different encounters that Jesus had with people in the scriptures. Mm. Well, I, can't wait to, I can't wait to read it. We uh well we we did finally get to a text tonight and uh, which is weird. <laughs> I usually start with it. <laughs> you did great. I was like, weekend. yeah, it was awesome. And and Mark two, a familiar passage for many people with Jesus heal, healing the paralytic. And you were talking about the crowds. Okay, so there was a crowd pressing in around him, and the doors were blocked because of it. And uh, it made me think that I've heard some people say that. They don't like big church, like or oh, the church is too big, or you know what I mean, like that the church shouldn't be big. Maybe is kind of the underlying thing. Like, talk a little bit about Pastor Joby, how we think about large groups, small groups, the size of the church, all that. You have several things. You have several thoughts. I know. <laughs> if people say that to me, I'm like, and they attend here. I'm like, who do you want me to ask to leave? Right. Because I have a somebody's on the top of my list right now. <laughs> um, I tell you who likes big growing churches is people that love somebody that's on the mat mm-hmm. or somebody that has been on that mat before. Mm-hmm. And they know that there's a church that's trying to make room for them to show up and meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the size of your parking lot has very little to do with the health and holiness of your church. Mm, that's good. There's really healthy, God-honoring big churches and small churches, and they're really, really off-the-mark big churches and small churches. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, though, I I have a hard time getting my mind around a church that 
is all about the Great Commission and the gospel and isn't reaching people that don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, help, regardless of how big it is today, mm-hmm. if you're not adding, like, the church when it started, mm-hmm. first of all, you would have hated this church. If you don't like big churches, they grew by 2,000 in the first meeting. Mm-hmm. And then, or they grew by 3,000 in the first meeting, yeah. and then 2,000 in the second meeting. So mm-hmm. in two weeks, they were at 5,000. Okay. And, Every at least every single day, people were getting saved mm-hmm. in the church in Jerusalem. Mm. So the model in uh, Acts two, and then again in Acts five, is that they had two kind of meetings. They had a large group. Now it was still built around the temple system, and mm-hmm. then they would split up house to house, mm-hmm. and that's where community would happen, and they would break bread together, they would do communion, they'd study the word. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, you know, we didn't make it up. All the churches we know right now are kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Big group on the weekend, mm-hmm. split up in people's houses during the week, study the Bible, break bread, pray for each other, do community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not far from where my in-laws live, there's this church, and I think <laughs> I think of that every time I drive by. It's like a relatively new building in like a nice parking lot and stuff like that, and it's like it's smaller than most houses in neighborhoods, and it's called like First Reformed. You know, <laughs> it just makes me think of the the holy huddle type situation. It's like, man, how you can't fit more than 50 people in that church. You know what I mean? And so, uh, why would you, why'd you aim so low? Right. Uh, and we are, I I know we're, we're a big church. I think one of the things I love about our model of one church, many location, broadcast locations, all the things that mean we spend, how much time do we spend on this thing? Mm -hmm. First of all, there is not a prescriptive model in the Bible of like this is how big your church should be and this is and should you campus and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, because you get one New Testament for every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm-hmm. So what the church looks like in North Korea is very much different than from yeah. Jessup to Jacksonville. Okay, mm-hmm. what I do like about our model is if you go to a service at Bay Meadows, it doesn't feel like you're a part of a church that ran 30,000 people at, on Christmas Eve, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a campus pastor whose primary job is discipleship. Mm-hmm. And if you want to eat dinner with your pastor, there he is, man, go talk to him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you get all the benefits of uh, a large church with resources, with things like mm-hmm. music and video and discipleship opportunity and mission trips and trips to Israel, all of that kind of thing. So you get to be a part of something so much greater than yourself. Mm -hmm. But if your personality type is, I don't want to be in a room with 3,001 people, cool, man, go to one of the campuses and there'll be like 400 people or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, and I'm not trying to knock, the size of your church has nothing to do with the health of your church. Like if you were to ask me, how's your family doing? And I say, four. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what? He'd be like, "Yeah, but pray we haven't for grown us. that family in years. We haven't man. grown in fourteen years, so I don't know what's wrong with us. So it's not just that, you know. But it, but if my kids don't get married and make babies, like if there's not re- reproduction, mm-hmm. then eventually there ain't no Martins. That's right. So go and make disciples is the Great Commission. Mm, people reaching people with the gospel is the, is a major part of the church. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Uh, in the text, is, you also mentioned this, that the four men who were bringing their friend made a mess. Like, it was messy. You mentioned several things. Like, it was expensive, it was disruptive, it was messy. Unpack a little bit more what that m- looks like in our context. In like, our context? Yeah. Okay. What, what's messy? What, what's the mess you're, you have in mind? Um, <clears throat> so, the moment we went from one service to two, people got to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? It starts with the staff. Now you got to work twice as much. Are you willing to do that? Those kind of things. The people that were most put out in this house were the people that already had a comfortable seat. Mm-hmm. They're the ones getting the roof tiles dropped on their heads, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it costs them money. It's disruptive. It's not comfortable. It requires you to... Set your preferences. This is what eternal life is. Mm -hmm. Is this other person's eternity more important than my temporary preferences? Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, that's what it comes down to. Um, Britt's brother is also a pastor in Bethlehem, Georgia, a great 
obviously he's a great guy and great church and, and man, a bunch of years ago, he was just talking to us and we've talked about this ad nauseum. He was like, Hey man, let me tell you. Hey man. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he's like, at least this country is me, maybe more. Hey man, let me tell you. He's a growing church, very similar to here <clears throat> in many, many ways. And he's like, if I just came into my leadership meeting with the core of my church and said, and used really like churchy language, mm -hmm. but basically said, we're not going to do the hard things to reach more people with the gospel anymore. There'd be a whole bunch of people that would have a sigh of relief and go, oh, thank goodness. So you're just going to take care of us? Mm-hmm. So this is going to be like every other club I'm a part of mm -hmm. that I pay my dues and I get the goods and services that mm -hmm. are best for me. Mm. And it is we it is baked into the American dream, man. Mm. Like not only are we wired for it in our sinful nature, we also live in a world that spends billions of dollars a day to convince you that's the way you ought to live, mm -hmm. that you yeah. ought to get what's most comfortable to you that meets your preferences. Mm -hmm. The gospel is an upside-down kingdom mm -hmm. that says, actually, you're supposed to be crucified to yourself for the sake of the nations, mm -hmm. every tribe, tongue, and nation, starting with your neighbor. Mm -hmm. So when the Samaritan is beaten up, he's the, the Samaritan is the neighbor, mm -hmm. you know? Mm. So it's a, the, and I'm telling you, listen, what the danger for us, if we want to have a little staff meeting real quick, the danger for us is, man, we work here. Mm -hmm. And we pretty much mostly hear from the people that are here all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you don't let the Word of God be the loudest voice in your life, you'll get a little email echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And the people that are complaining because church isn't the way they want it to be will be the loudest voice. And then that will be your great commission. Mm -hmm. Keep comfortable the sheep. It, mm -hmm. uh, one way to say it is take care of the 99 at the expense of the one. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a parable about that which is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Right. I think also about like like social norms or like, you know, I think about our services and when you have somebody who's like an example could be somebody who's a young family that brings their, their kids in, right? And it's just like, hey, it's noisy. Or somebody who's really broken up and starts to weep loudly or somebody who's, what you know, Churchy people, myself included, can sometimes feel like church has got to be order, right? You know, like orderly. It's got to be. This is how you behave in church. And so, people who might not have those same constraints, or they're newer or whatever, can make you feel like a little uncomfortable. But like, I think that's part of the. Is that part of the mess too that you're talking about? Like people. It's like dress code. Yeah. Um, for sure, man. We modest is modesty is a biblical value. However. I assume the people coming to our church are not all Jesus followers. Mm -hmm. And so if you get hung up on things like that, you're hung up on the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you ignore that in somebody's life right. as a disciple, but how do you even know if they're a believer yet? You know what I mean? Right. So it's things like it's those kinds of things. Language. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the language I hear in the lobby, it, you know, people just don't know. They're just using the language they use. Praise mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. I, now, we're not going to leave them that way. We're going to try to teach them a little Ephesians 4.28, let no unwholesome talk proceed out of your mouth. But mm -hmm. but, but it's it's way more of that, man. It's yeah. I mean, the, the thing, what's interesting, I didn't get to this night because I was already over. After this text about tearing the roof off to make room for one more, the very next thing that happens is Jesus goes to call Matthew, and the religious people are like, why is he hanging out with those people? Mm -hmm. That's what he got in trouble for more than anything else, mm -hmm. is why are you hanging out with those people? Mm -hmm. If we don't constantly have a group of those people at our church, mm -hmm. whoever the marginalized are, man, right. if we don't have a group of those that make the... And the longer you've been at church, and dude, I've been, on, I've been a pastor for 30 years, so... It is easy to get sucked into conforming mm -hmm. into an image of church instead mm -hmm. of being conformed to, to the image and likeness of Christ, mm -hmm. who hung out with the people that were like, why are you hanging out with those people? Mm -hmm. We, I hope and pray we've always got a group of people that make all of our church people uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, we studied James last year and the sin of partiality, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> only treating with... Respect the people who you think are of high status, right? And you read some of the words of Jesus, good grief. 
you know, you you do these kind good deeds or invite people to your feast, and they can invite you right back to theirs. Like what good is what good is that? How different are you than the than the heathens? Yeah, when we um, we've been picketed before, as you guys are well aware, mm-hmm. and the, and the the reason that we were getting picketed and I was being called a false prophet is because these people, the picketers uh, on the weekends would do street evangelism at the bars in Jack's Beach, okay? And their signs were like, you know, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, while that, that that statement out of context is just saying everyone is a sinner and apart from the gospel, no one inherits the kingdom of God. However, they're, they're just telling the people coming out of the bars at 2 a.m. that they're going to hell. And then the response was, Blank you, I go to eleven twenty two. You know what I mean? And, that was, and so then they show up to say, "Well, I want every single one of those people from the bars to be here at eleven twenty two and meet Jesus and follow in His footsteps and not be drunk with wine and all those kind of things." Mm-hmm. the The problem with the those kind of picketers is that they don't understand the gospel. They don't. They think you got to clean yourself up before you go to the emergency room. Mm. And it is the opposite, man. Mm-hmm. Jesus came to for the for the sick, not the healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we, will, I want us to continuously be that kind of church, without ever taking our foot off the gas of discipleship and deepening mm-hmm. our relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. This ain't church light, man. It's not what we're yeah. doing. Is there more to that, like Jesus's strategy for going after the marginalized? I mean, I've I've thought about. I think there is. If I'm remembering this. In Second Samuel, there is this thing David said about the the lame and the blind that I think perpetuated itself into some kind of belief that they're cursed, like lame and blind were cursed. And so there's significance to the fact that Jesus went after those people, right, to reverse the curse of sin. But I mean, why why do you think that was such a big focus for him? I think because the the number one thing you need to get saved is need. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know that you need a Savior, Mm -hmm. then that's the scales that are on your eyes. Mm -hmm. And when when the scales fall off of your eyes, what you see is the need that you have. Mm -hmm. Like, the drowning man does not need to be convinced Mm -hmm. that he needs a life raft. Mm -hmm. Like, you You just throw it to him, he's going to grab onto Mm -hmm. it. And so the group of people that don't perceive they have need... Now, some of the religious leaders do see Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. He's like, something's going on here. I know that you're from God, mm-hmm. or you wouldn't be able to do these miracles, mm-hmm. right? But Jesus even meets him right where he is. Right. So that's it. I mean... There's also, like, those people have no control over... Like, if you're born blind, you didn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, think about who gets ruled out for the who's, who, of being qualified for the message if it's dependent on some kind of... Healthy, wealthy. You know what I mean? Well, New Testament and Old Testament, the Bible refutes that. Um, I mean, almost all the middle chapters of Job Mm. are Job's friends saying, your pain is your fault. Mm -hmm. Repent. And then eventually God shows up and be like, you dummies. Mm -hmm. That's not how this works. And then John chapter 9, it's Mm -hmm. it's just specific because the disciples growing up in the first century believed the blind man Mm -hmm. was either his fault or his parents' fault. Mm. It's just like, no, 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 no. Yeah. For the glory of God. Well, as we get ready to wrap up here, I mean, I'm super excited about 2024. I know we all are. Hope you are too. Um, it made me think of your illustration, Pastor Joby, with the hotel room. You know, we talked about eternal life. Oh, yeah. You know, you wouldn't stay in a hotel room for a weekend and remodel it, you know, and so much of what the Apostle Paul wrote was just focused on not wanting to be ashamed when he stood before Jesus, you know, so he was focused on eternity. So why don't you close us with any comments you have and then a prayer over this over this coming year? Well, <clears throat> for folks that listen to the sermon, I mean, this is, I hope, if it doesn't excite you, you might be in the wrong boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. uh, this is where our church is rowing towards is the Great Commission, mm-hmm. that we want to be the kind of church that constantly is willing to tear the roof off, to do whatever it takes, to tote people on the mat to mm-hmm. Jesus. And if you find yourself on the mat... And it might not be like the matter of your own sinfulness. It might mm. be shame or depression or loneliness or yeah. whatever it is, man. Then, then we're a place for you. 
Mm-hmm. We're a place for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, we dedicate this year to you. Yes. Uh, God, may the may you guide every one of our steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord, may the ministry ideas that we have be of you. And God, ultimately, the vision that we have is just you. It's just to glorify you. And so that's what we pray for. We pray that the the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it. <laughs>